Friends, thank you so much for making worship a priority. My name is Adam, and it's my honor to be the senior pastor here at our church. We're in the second week of our Living Legacy series, and uh, I'm excited to get into it. Two weeks ago, Alex Smith made his NFL return, an amazing uh, journey. 693 days after a gruesome, life-threatening leg injury, he accomplished his goal of playing in an NFL game. It was an emotional uh, piece of, of, of film to watch. I saw the clip of his family cheering him on, and, and I think a lot of folks were just reminded of how special a person Alex Smith is, not just because of his perseverance and not just because of all his great achievements with the Chiefs, uh, including a 50-26 and 26 record as a starter. That's a higher win percentage than Lynn Dawson, by the way. Alex Smith led the Chiefs to their first playoff victory in 22 years, and he made the Pro Bowl three times as the Chiefs quarterback. But even more than his perseverance or his achievements on the field, Alex Smith is a special person because of his generosity. This is from, the following is from a, a ESPN Magazine article from 2018, May of 2018, titled, More Proof Alex Smith Was the Perfect Mentor for Patrick Mahomes. So what, what would you have done when your replacement arrives? Would you feel threatened? I think I would, but that's not how Alex Smith reacted. Mahomes was drafted, and Smith reached out to him. This is from the article. He reached out to Mahomes not only to wish him well and offer his help, but to diffuse any awkwardness that could easily develop. The veteran quarterback was, by all accounts, most gracious with his time and knowledge with Mahomes, even though it was obvious that from the moment the Chiefs made the pick that a change at the game's most important position was imminent. Alex Smith was the right person at the right time. This is how the article concludes. Smith had plenty of achievements with the Chiefs. Still, his lasting legacy might eventually be that he didn't scorch the ground around the quarterback who took his place. I've always been fascinated with this concept that, that you have just the correct person it, it, coming along at the correct time in the correct circumstances. And, and they do amazing things because they're the right person at the opportune time. And there's a lot more at stake, we know, than just winning football games. Louis Pasteur is known as the father of microbiology. Uh, his work helped advance germ theory. He created the first vaccine for rabies. And if you've been out to Fun Farm and had some apple cider, or if, if you've drank milk or a whole lot of other things, then you've benefited from his pasteurization process of eliminating bacteria and things we drink. Louis Pasteur has saved untold lives. We'll never know his true impact. It's impossible to calculate because it's so high. He was the right person at the right time. Or I think about Katherine Johnson. She was the subject of the book and movie Hidden Figures. She was the first African-American woman to work as a NASA scientist. And her gifts in mathematical equations were, were critical to the success of the first manned space missions that NASA ran. She was also an innovator in terms of, of being among the first to use computers to help generate successful missions in aiding spaceflight. She received the Congressional Medal of Honor in 2019. Katherine Johnson, the right person at the right time. These amazing people overcoming the obstacles and challenges they face. Uh, like, I was a history major in college, and I've spent a lot of time wondering, well, what did I do if, if I was in their shoes? What would I have done if I was alive at that time? Friends, I think we get to answer that question now. A tense time in our country with racial injustice and, and unrest, 
only days away from an election, a pandemic that has been so disruptive on like a once in a generational level, plenty of other things we could name. This moment is when we get to determine our legacy. What are we gonna do? How will we react? We're living into it in real time. And what I choose to believe is that God has chosen us for this moment and that God will provide what we need to do what we're called. That's where we're gonna land today. I I think it's tempting to have this mentality that we're living in harder times than anyone else in human history. And and I I think I picked this up somewhere, but there's a name for this mentality and it's called chronological snobbery, as if the thing you're going through is the the hardest thing in, in human history. Right? We have a bias to assume there's never been a harder time that people have dealt with. And I'm not sure I have the ability to kind of make some sort of rating or, or difficulty level list of when it was hardest to be a person on the planet. I'm not sure how to do that. I am sure that the challenges to life and faith that people face are nothing new. In our scripture today, we're going to see another example of the right person that God placed at the proper time. We'll be reading from the book of Acts chapter 17. Acts is short for Acts of the Apostles, and it's the story of what happened next after Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' followers were sent out into a hostile culture, and earlier in Acts 17, uh, we read very specifically that the earliest believers are accused of being guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. So to be a Christian was a high crime worthy of death in the first century. This was the environment that Christians operated in. Paul was the perfect person to operate in this time and place. He was a former Jewish religious leader, but also a Roman citizen. And so he was called uniquely to spread the good news about Jesus uh, outwardly from, from sort of the initial inner circle of Judaism around Jerusalem out into the rest of the world to the Gentiles, which is a word for people who weren't Jewish. Paul faced the danger and threats to his life, and there were many, and he faced them head on. Acts 17 describes his escape from an angry mob and his retreat to the ancient Greek city of Athens. It's there that he showcases his ability to meet people where they are and speak to them in a way that's compelling to them, the right person at the right time. We're going to start by reading from Acts 17, verses 22 and 23. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The Areopagus, got a little picture here. The Areopagus was a central place in the political life of Athens. It's, it's kind of this, this hill, and, and if you can see in the picture, there's a little plaque there. It's actually containing uh, some of Paul's speech from Acts 17. Think of, think of the Areopagus like speaker's circle at Mizzou, if, if you're familiar with that. Court would be held there, and people would meet on this hill to debate philosophy and the issues of the day. So that's, that's where Paul chose to make a beeline, right, to the area. He goes straight to the Areopagus, to the heart of, of kind of spiritual and civic discourse in Athens. He, he goes to where the people are, 
And, and he uses their philosophy and their beliefs as an entryway to the gospel, as an on-ramp, because Paul is going to tell them about this unknown God that they have a monument to. And he continues in verses 24 and 25. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. But Paul's message is, is revolutionary, that God doesn't reside in a temple built by people. This, this was a, a foundational belief in, in Greco-Roman religion, that you would go to this or that temple to pray to this or that God, and that you also had to, to make this or that sacrifice to appease the gods, to keep them from being angry. And so when Paul says that, that uh, it's not as God needs us, that as if he needed anything, this is also revolutionary to the original audience at the time. This was another key thought of ancient religions, that we had to appease the gods. And so what Paul says in Acts 17, 26 this next verse is one that I have clung to during 2020. Here's what he said to the people gathered at the Areopagus. From one man, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. Who among us can say that they did anything to influence when and where they were born? The concept that God has chosen us, has appointed us to this time and this place brings me great inspiration. We have the opportunity, friends, to be the right people at the right time. I know it's hard and, and I know it's tempting for us to, to kind of wallow in all the grief that we've suffered in 2020. And there's a long list of things that we've lost and to grieve over. And, and it's tempting just to, to try and wish it away, right? To wallow in how hard things are. Author J.R.R. Tolkien touches on this beautifully in his book, The Lord of the Rings. Now, you know I try and save my Lord of the Rings references for just the right opportune time. I, don't, I know not everybody's into this sort of stuff. But I, I, just, I just love the conversation between Frodo, kind of the protagonist in, in this epic story, and his wise wizard companion, Gandalf. Here's the conversation they had. I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. None of us chose this time to, to be people. None of us chose this time to be alive. That is not for us to decide. What we can do is have faith that God has placed us here and now and that God will provide what we need to do what we're called. Paul continues the concept that God determined the exact times for people and the places they should live. He concludes this concept with God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Again, this idea is precious to me that God has placed us here and now, determined the exact time and places we should live. And that God is near, and his nearness can be communicated through us. Friends, this is our appointed time. What will we do with it? As we live into the time and place that God has set, 
what will our legacy be? The reality, friends, is that ministry requires funding. I had someone email me recently about the subject of generosity, and they said, I don't envy your job. And I will tell you very plainly, I've lost sleep around the sensitivity of this issue, talking about the call to be generous while a huge percentage of Americans are out of work. And yet, this makes ministry all the more important. So please don't feel bad for me, because this is a subject that I actually enjoy discussing. Because we get to marry faith and action together as we look to the conclusion of 2020 and as we look to the year ahead. I'm so proud to be part of this amazing congregation. You know, there's some experts out there who, who, who are predicting that 20% of American churches won't survive this pandemic. One out of five. And, and it's just been astonishing to see the response of our church, even when things are so crazy. Our giving in 2020, everything going on, is 8% higher than it was in 2019. Blows my mind. That's a testament to how good God has been to our people, and that's a testament to how faithful our people have been with what God has given them. Another example that blew my mind, early on in the pandemic, someone got in touch with me and they wanted to make an anonymous gift. They wanted to take their $1,200 stimulus check and, and they wanted to give it to somebody who needed it more than them. Very touching, very generous. I said, all right, I'll let you know when I, when I become aware of a need. Sometime later, we got in touch with someone who was kind of in between housing situations and needed a three-week stay at a hotel. This, this person had offered up $1,200 and the hotel bill was going to be $1,185.80. The right person, the right time. So let me speak very plainly. Friends, if you find yourself in a season where you're struggling financially, I am not here to kick you while you're down. I'm not. I'm not here to guilt anyone or try and make anyone feel obligated. I'm here to invite people to join me in funding ministry when it is needed now more than ever. So I invite you to consider what will your response be in this time, in this place that God has put us. I invite you to join me in the belief that God will provide what we need to do what we're called. So what I want to lay out for us is five different levels of giving. And we can each locate ourselves somewhere along this spectrum. And again, I want to recognize and be sensitive that we have folks in a variety of circumstances and different seasons of life, especially right now. So I'm trying to approach this very pastorally, and yet there's a practical element to it as well. So no matter where you're at, I'd invite you to consider what will your response be? And are you able to take a step of generosity somewhere along this spectrum? These five levels of giving. Some of us are at the point where we give nothing to the local church. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. And, and the reality is, it's part of my job to, to point out that if, that if everyone did this, we wouldn't have any church. We wouldn't have any ministry to be doing if that's the, if that's the level of giving that everyone chose. This place wouldn't exist. 
Now, other times we give something. That's the second level of giving. You give something. And friends, please don't underestimate the leap of faith it is going from nothing to something. That's huge. This could be when you hear about a specific need or a special offering that we take up. Uh, we come to church and we, and we give, or we participate in church, even online or in person, and, and we give something depending on kind of what we happen to have on us that day. Right? It's not necessarily planned. I believe everyone is capable of giving something. The bar from nothing to something doesn't have to be a high one, friends, because any something is more than nothing. So please, again, hear me. A move from nothing to something is big. And this first step of faith can be the biggest. Now beyond something, we can grow towards intentional giving. Intentional giving, meaning a planned percentage of our income. A regular planned percentage of our income. Going from nothing to something represents a sacrificial step of faith. And going from giving something to being intentional about your giving is another big step of faith. Now at this point, some might wonder, and I know people wonder because they've asked me, well, is that percentage based on a gross income or a net income? And so I'll just pass along to you what my dad said to me once. I don't get real stressed out about that. Just give a percentage of something. Just give a percentage of something. Others of us make, making an increase in our percentage of giving uh, represents another big step of faith. So moving from something to just 1%, that's a huge shift. And moving from one to two or two to four, whatever that is, that represents another giant sacrificial step of faith. And that journey of intentional giving, friends, it doesn't take place overnight as, as, as we move towards tithing. And this is the biblical concept or the biblical principle of giving 10% of your income back to God. And now my belief is that your tithe is what goes to the church. Sarah and I both support a variety of, of other ministries or causes. Uh, we have helped uh, people's adoption funds. We, we've given to Love Haiti. Um, right now we're supporting two dear friends that are missionaries in Papua New Guinea. Uh, it brings us great joy to do this. I've, I've bought like, I don't even know how many Clifton Strength codes I've bought for people. I just get so excited about it, right? But, but none of those things are part of our tithe. And I love all of them. But I believe that the tithe goes to God in order to build up the church because the church has a specific mission that Sarah and I value over and above the other things that we could give our money to to support. Right? We believe in the mission that we're on together to make new disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world in the time and place that God has put us. I believe the church has a unique mission and I believe that's why the tithe explicitly goes to the church, to God. Now beyond that 10% mark is extravagant giving. This is giving over and above 10% of your income where we continue to evaluate our resources as blessings from God and how those can flow to others at 11% of our income and beyond. Now notice the words we chose for these different levels of giving. You didn't see the word sacrificial on that list we put up on the screen because every one of these gifts beyond nothing is sacrificial. Because I know, as well as you do, you could be doing lots of other things with that gift. Each act of generosity, friends, no matter how big or how small, contributes to our church's ability to continue to do ministry. And that's something I stand here proudly to proclaim. This isn't embarrassing or hard for me. I'm proud to be a part of this place and to continue our mission. So this morning, we have made commitment cards available. 
We have these here in person uh, at, at the, the exit to our church. These were mailed out to everybody who got a giving statement. And I just want to walk through this very quickly. You can put your name and contact information. You can mark what campus you most associate yourself with. And then you can write down the figure that you're going to pledge yearly or monthly or weekly. Right? We get that it may be a month-to-month situation. And we also get that this can fluctuate. And so you can mark down what this represents. Is that something? Is this intentional giving? Is this tithing? Or is this extravagant giving? And we, we have some boxes you can check at the bottom there, including how to find out how to uh, automate your giving. Sarah and I do that. And we also uh, wanted to provide an opportunity uh, to speak to a pastor concerning giving. Just whatever's on your mind. We wanted to give you the opportunity to do that. So this card represents each of our small parts in a much bigger process. When we make a financial commitment to fund ministry in 2021, it allows our church to best prepare for ministry in the coming year. But beyond this, friends, this card is a tool to plot your own spiritual progress in the discipline of generosity. So this this isn't just about practical budget planning. This is also about charting your own spiritual growth. Again, I'm not asking you to go from nothing to extravagant giving overnight. I'm asking you to prayerfully consider how God has blessed you and how those blessings could flow from God through you out to others in the appointed time and place that God has put us. Now, you can also fill out your card online at carney.church/legacy. This is going to be crucial as we know not everybody's going to meet in person during this time. So I'd encourage you to check out our website and you can make your commitment online. We're going to be making our commitments next week, November 1st, as we celebrate All Saints Sunday, taking our place in the long line of saints that have come before us. So friends, I I get it, right? Like, what are some of the most impolite things to talk about in conversation? Money and religion. Now, if I added politics to the mix, I could just go ahead and do the whole buffet for us, but I'm smart enough not to do that. So I believe Meatloaf said two out of three ain't bad. So I know I'm talking about money and I know I'm talking about religion. And luckily, I don't have a problem talking about either because that's part of my job. This process goes beyond funding the needs of an institution. This is about a spiritual practice of giving back to God with cheerful hearts in response to how God has blessed us. So I want you to know, I'm going to say this very, very starkly. As your pastor, I would not ask you to do something that my and my family are not willing to do as well. So just so you know that I'm trying to lead By example, to lead from the front, I want you to know this fall, Sarah and I are actually increasing our commitment to the church by giving 12% of our gross income to the ministries of the church. In 2021, we're committing $15,120, and that represents 12% of our gross income. So I'm inviting you to join my family in taking a step of generosity and of faith in believing that God will continue to provide what we need to do what we're called. This church has been part of this community for over 150 years. That blows my mind. I was a history major in college. I may have already said that. I don't know. I try and impress people with that as much as I can, I guess. Think about 
the long line of history that this congregation has seen. I mean, dating back to the Civil War. We like to think that this period of a pandemic is unprecedented, but we had the Spanish flu of 1918. There was World War I, the Great Depression, the struggle for civil rights. Right, we had Vietnam, the Cuban Missile Crisis, the Cold War, 9-11, and now the coronavirus pandemic. We are the beneficiaries of faithful people that God appointed in certain times and places. Think how many things wouldn't have happened if folks from this church, the long lineage that we have, hadn't been faithful. There's no way to tell how many people never would have gotten baptized. Untold number of kids and students might not have ever known how much God loves them at such an early age. Right? Or, or, or think how many people might not have gone further in their walk with Christ that they ever would have imagined that they were able to find their way back to God here. Over the generations, how many folks wouldn't have received a new or improved home or essential supplies for their babies or, or the chance at an education like our friends in Haiti through the, the just massive tradition of outreach and the heartbeat of uh, that being the heartbeat of our church. Think how many lives wouldn't have been touched if so many hadn't have been so faithful. As we look back on the century and a half legacy of our church, we now get to take our place and decide what will our response be. Throughout all the struggle that this congregation has seen throughout history, this church has had a presence and an impact, not only in this community, but around the globe. And I, for one, don't want to see that diminish, even when it's hard. What this concept of being a living legacy is about is seeing that impact of our church and our ministries increase. I hope you'll find comfort, like I have, that God has determined the exact times and places that we would live. And I invite you to join me in the belief that God will continue to provide what we need to do what we're called. And everybody said, amen.